1: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whatever your next move might be in 2017, tackle it with Squarespace. You might need a landing page, a professional blog, or an online store. If so, start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off. So there's this guy, and you, you'd think that he and I might be friends. Some people even think that we look alike, like I was mistaken for him at a party once. And we have similar interests and similar activities and projects. The first time I ever saw him, he was on stage hosting like a talk show, uh, this lecture series called Trampoline Hall. It's been around for 15 years. And he was a really good host, like very quick on his feet, affable, funny. Here's a clip, actually, of how he handles the Q&A part of a Trampoline Hall lecture.
0: And he had, I'll ask you, sir. Yeah, oh, you, sir. I'm sorry, I could, but you're a lady, I think. It's a dark over there. <laughs> Whatever you are, dark figure over there. Have you ever tried to reach out to Bob Saget as his lost daughter? <gasps> Have you ever tried to reach out to Bob Saget as his lost daughter? No. No. And why, why not? I feel like if I were to do that, I would probably do it with my biological father and not Bob Saget. <laughs> <laughs> okay. what, what, where did you, now? When you say you don't have a father, obviously at some level you have a father, like some someone. But is he? So he's. he's he, I take it he's alive. Is that right? As far as I know, I was conceived on um, Halloween, so it was a costume party. Oh my god! <laughs> really? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> um. What was? Can I ask what he was dressed as? He was Zorro. <laughs> And and my mom was a nun in a full habit. Oh, my God. That's that's the dirtiest thing I've ever heard.
1: So it just seemed like we should hang out. Like, we were meant to be friends. And so uh, I asked him out uh, for a drink, like a man-friend-date kind of thing. And um, we did have a lot in common. We, we, we had, like, too much in common. Like, we got to talking, and it turned out that when he was in school, when he was younger, he had published some sort of subversive underground student newspaper and uh, got in trouble with the administration. And I did that, too, in high school. Now, you might think that that was the beginning of, of a beautiful friendship between two like-minded people, but the truth is we never hung out again. At the end of that night, I kind of shook hands with the guy— And I think that there was like a mutual recognition that this was just too weird. It was too strange and it couldn't happen. And I've, I've I've taken notice of his accomplishments. His name pops up and pops up in like the Paris Review, the New Yorker. Trampoline Hall was touring in the States or he co-wrote a book with our mutual friend uh, called The Chairs Are Where the People Go. And it was it was uh, internationally lauded. So I've like followed this guy's career, his interests. I, I, I admire his work, but we never get too close. It's kind of like on The Simpsons where there's that sort of like bizarro world. Bart and Lisa from Shelbyville, who look just like Bart and Lisa, but a little bit different. And they just sort of eye each other warily, and they keep going on their separate ways. A couple weeks ago, I found out that Trampoline Hall, this lecture series that Misha's been hosting for 15 years, is being turned into a podcast. And uh, I'm thinking it's time for me to talk to Misha Globerman again. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Nathan Vexler, Stephen Butler, Derek Smith, Ryan Wahlberg, Alex Taylor, Rob Paragudoff, Shannon Alberta, and Josh Patlick. Josh, why did you decide to be awesome? along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2, along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Canada Land. That is drinkag1.com slash Canada Land. Check it out. Yeah. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. It is the beginning of a new year. Many of you may have resolved to take on a new challenge, start a new business, change careers, launch creative projects. Whatever your next move might be, tackle it with Squarespace. All kinds of people use Squarespace, musicians, designers, artists, restaurants. It gives you the ability to create an online platform from which to make your next move known to the world. So whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, all of that is included in your Squarespace website. They are constantly improving their platform. You never have to install, patch, or upgrade anything. Their service is stellar 24-7. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and use the offer code CANADALAND. You will get 10% off of your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. This episode is also brought to you by the founding sponsor of Canada Land, FreshBooks. Makers of ridiculously easy to use and ridiculously powerful accounting software for small businesses, freelancers, people like you and me. Check out the all new FreshBooks. You will be amazed at how it gets you organized and gets you paid quicker. If you are billing people for anything, for any purpose whatsoever, there are tools here that will make your life easier and get you back to doing the thing that you need to do. 97% of small businesses recommend FreshBooks. Canada Land is one of them. Check it out. Go to freshbooks.com slash Canadaland, where you will find a lovely picture of two young professionals working on a project. Use it for free for 30 days. When you become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you. You will be doing this show a favor. When I told Aliyah. That I was interviewing her, you. Yeah. She said, oh, you should enjoy that. You're essentially interviewing yourself. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. I think we all just look alike to her.
0: <laughs> I don't see it at all. I know I, in the grand scheme. Do you really not see it? Okay, we're, like... Like, I don't think our eyes are similarly set, or we have the same shape nose, or we have the same shape mouth or anything. Yeah. But we are, like, you know, we are both men of, like, approximately the same age, of approximately the same height and build, of approximately the same, like, complexion. So just, like, physically, we're, like, pretty similar looking. And then also, even in terms of sensibility, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think we're, like, that wildly different from each other like,
1: large bearded jewish men of downtown yeah. western downtown toronto yeah. yeah. vaguely associated with cultural circles of yeah journalistic literary i don't know yeah 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 yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. and in ways that aren't that like different from each other even in inter- we're also like both like interviewers you know like we're also both like even the work that we do the work that you do is in the grand scheme of things not so different from the work that i do you know um, and then even among people who do that work, like I like the work you do. Like, like, when I hear Jesse, like I'm like, oh, like that thing Jesse said, that made sense to me. Whereas, like, there are other people who are journalists; they say things, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. So, I think we also are like, in
1: it. we're not that dissimilar. <laughs> and I admire your work, so it's going to be a labor to make this not an unbearable conversation. Well, a
0: lot of the people who worked on Trampoline Hall, when we, when I told them we were doing your show, they were hoping that it was going to be like, um, like a big, in, like an investigation that you'd like get to the bottom of, like the Trampoline Hall scandal. Oh, you know? cool. That Is there one? Where, not, I can not try. That I know of, not that I know of. But, uh.
1: It's a misnomer, I, like, I don't know, it, it's a false characterization to say, oh, here, here, with me now is he's a the, the host of this lecture series. I mean, it's
0: true. Yeah, it's true. It's literally true, but it's not a good bio
1: yeah. for
0: me in terms of who I am. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, increasingly, um, the thing that I spend most of my time doing and that I like doing the most and that I, I personally most want people to know about is the work that I do um Helping people learn to communicate better. So that's like, so for me, I'm like, you know, I teach these courses called How to Talk to People About Things. And that's kind of the thing, that's the thing that I do that I most, uh, that most draws my interest and passion and excitement these days. Um, so that's kind of part of what I do. Yeah. Um, and so, you it's know, it's a so- vague,
1: difficult thing to, he's a guy like, okay, yeah. so you're speaking agency bio, and I wouldn't necessarily yeah. want to, we have kind of different yep. bios for different purposes, yep. but you're described as an expert in. Communication and conflict resolution.
0: Yeah. And I would like, I would even skip the conflict resolution. I mean, you know, yeah. And communication, like how people can understand each other better, make decisions better together.
1: See, so yeah. this is a point of differentiation between you and I. I'm an expert in conflict creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So you so put the room together, we just neutralize. It just comes out as just water. Uh, the 15 years of this lecture series, it almost predates this kind of mania for lecture series. Yeah. It, uh, maybe it I didn't does. even know there was a mania for lecture series. That's well, how long I've been The whole TED Moss. Yeah, it
0: predates, it predates te- it, you know, TED Talks was like a thing in California that maybe you heard about if you read Wired magazine. I don't know where it fits in in terms of the moth, but it was certainly before anybody, you know, before anyone outside of New York
1: would have heard about the moth. I don't think. Yeah, and then there were the little gray book lectures. That John it was Hodgeman exactly was the doing. same
0: time as Little Gray Books. We started, I think, exactly this more or less like I think within a month of each other. Is was my perception independently of each other.
1: Fifteen years of lectures. You've had a lot of different kinds of people delivering lectures. Yeah. But is this like a hipster thing? Was is that? Do you, would you like bristle if somebody was like, you know.
0: I mean, you know, would I bristle? No. I mean, would some of the hipsters who come bristle? I guess. Our audience is less that audience than it was when it started. So when it started, it was sort of like people who were really close to the literary scene and art scene and music scene. I guess music scene, you know, I guess music and arts being kind of the hipster genres. Um, And it was younger. And as, as it's gone on, it's become more of a mainstream audience and more of a diverse audience and more of a varied audience in that kind of way.
1: The disclosure that probably should have uh, preceded all this is that I did one. Yeah, yeah. We should
0: talk about that. That was something I want to talk
1: about at some point.
0: If you want to. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe at some point we should talk about Maybe after we've talked about this. I'm cur- I was curious what it was like for you.
1: I think that uh, the part of it that I think is like most of an achievement is just the longevity of it. Yeah, you, You've got this conceit, okay, they're talking about things that they're not an expert about, which I don't know, maybe you can talk a little bit about the purpose of that conceit. It seems yeah. to almost be kind of forcing like, don't take this too seriously, this is going to be fun. Yeah, Does it have more of like a practical function and does that have anything to do yeah. with why it's worked for so long? So the premise of the
0: show, the central premise of the show is free people give lectures on subjects on which they are not professionally expert. Um, and that doesn't mean and sometimes people hear that and they get the impression that like um, it's like like an improv game or something like that but it's not like often people typically work very very hard on their talks um, their talks might be about things uh, that they know a lot about they might be very accomplished and smart people in some cases and in some cases they might just be like a friend of someone's mom or whatever it could be like anybody so it's a huge range of people in terms of expertise and stuff. I'm just going to give you the whole Mm -hmm. spiel here. So a huge range of people in terms of expertise, um, some people who are really, really expert speakers, some people who are just terrified and have never been on stage before, all that kind of stuff. But the one rule is they can't be professionally expert on the subject in which they're talking. And, And the function that that rule serves basically is that it transforms it. We call it a lecture series, but at some level, I think what it really is is it's a kind of theater. And it's a theater where the constraint is that what you can do is give a lecture. And, what I, and I guess what I mean by that distinction is if there was a topic on which, there was a topic that you were really curious to know about, I think a really shitty way to pursue knowledge on that topic would be to come to a Trampling Hall lecture. Like I don't think a lot of people, like when we send out the invite to the lecture, the sort of top billing is like Trampling Hall is happening. And then it's like, here's who chose the lectures. And then it's like, here's who the people are. And then it's like, what these are what the topics are. Like you, you don't come to Trampling Hall, like if, if it was a real lecture series, you'd come because you'd be like, oh, I wanna learn about um. You know, whatever genetics, and
1: this is electronic. People genetics. don't come for the topics, you nor nor the do topic. they come for the names. They come for Trampoline Hall.
0: Yeah, you come for Trampoline Hall. Sometimes they come for the names. I mean, sometimes the people are are interesting people, and you'd be like, oh, I want to hear what that guy says. But that's not the premise exactly either. I guess you yeah. get like
1: a benefit of it's a small venue. You got three speakers plus a curator. Each of those people has their people.
0: Yeah. So in terms of longevity, I mean, and this wasn't by design, but I think I think that one. When, when you named one thing that I think contributes to the longevity is just like so many people work on the show. And so many people come through the show. So there's a mechanism through which um, new people come through all the time. It's not just the same people coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that contributes to the longevity. Uh, and that certainly wasn't by design. that was by accident and it wasn't even originally the case. like we have you know originally Sheila Hetty, who started the show, you know did a lot of the work now that now lots of people do. And I think that in some ways the fact that lots of people do that work serves to kind of broaden the community of who who comes through the door,
1: yeah, in some way.
0: So I think that's one thing that contributes to the longevity of the show. Uh, I I also think it's a good show. I mean, I think that's you know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that it's a mixed bag as a show because some speakers are good and some speakers are bad. Yeah. But 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 you're really good.
0: Well, the thing that I like to think is that the show. Thank you. Uh, The thing that I like to think is it's a it's a mixed bag in terms of whether the speakers are good or not good. But the thing that I like to think is that the show is designed in such a way that. That doesn't break the show. Like, it's part of the design of the show is that the speaker...
1: Because everyone knows that the lecture, if it's bad, will end pretty soon, and then you will come and And interact with the person. And sometimes the interaction between you and the audience and the speaker uh, might be even more interesting if it was a flaming train wreck of a lecture. Absolutely. And you sort of are the proxy representative of the audience. You somehow represent that. And you do that without... I've only been a few times, yeah. and I've heard the first episode of the podcast, but you do that without mocking the yeah. speaker or degrading them in any way. And when I was there, I was impressed by your crowd work. Sure. Like, I felt like you were very, very quick sure. and very, very confident in that room. And I thought, oh, this guy's just a... He's a very good host. Yeah. And that suggests opportunities in a career that I have to imagine... I was not the first. I said, well, you know, at the time I was working for the CBC, and I said, do you have any interest in talking about making this a CBC show or something? And I was surprised by how kind of unenthused you were by that idea. Yeah. Which, which, like, the trajectory in media would be like, yeah, you start doing something at, like, a little club on the corner, and then you should be aspiring. And I guess that's something that I find I'm curious about with you, and not just in terms of Trampoline Hall. I wonder if there's some kind of resistance to the traditional aspirations or traditional trajectories of what a what a media career or a writing career might be, it seems like you either don't want those things. I don't know. Right. So that's a good question. So again when you, I mean, it goes to your earlier question too about like what
0: explains the longevity of Trampoline Halls. Because like one reason a show like that could stop happening is because the person, is because it could, could fail. But the other reason a show like that could stop happening is because it could succeed. Which is I think what basically happened with say Little Grey Books. Like I think the reason Little Grey Books stopped happening, I'm, I'm just totally guessing here, but might not be disconnected the fact that John Hodgman became a very successful and famous person and didn't want to keep, you know, hosting a bar for a hundred people. You know, when he so was nothing. like a massive yeah.
1: Apple millionaire. Yeah, and be like, uh, but I'm going
0: to like go back and host this show in a bar in Brooklyn. For I mean, it's a fair assumption. That's probably know, what killed the That, that like part of it is like, oh, it like it made him successful and so he could stop doing it. And so that's maybe one of the things that contributed to the success of Trampoline Hall was that it, we found ways to, I'm answering your last question now, is that we, we have found ways to make it, something that not just that people want to keep coming to but also that people want to keep working on mm-hmm. um, and
1: uh, and it has, has everyone been hosted
0: by you? Yeah that's so the only yeah that, I have hosted every single show. And um, have you missed a month? Here's a shocking thing. we've never canceled a show. We've never started late. We've had one lecture cancel in 15 years. Um, I'm not sure how we do that. so but when you think about the longevity like there's something about like the uh, institutional design of the show that's like very robust. In a given year, the number of people who come together to make Trampoline Hall, right now that's the 30 to 30, you know, the 30 or whatever people who lecture in a given year. It's the 10 people or so whose job it is to go out and find those lecturers. It's the people who set up the chairs. It's the people who work the door. It's people who make the website. The people who make the tickets. People make the set. It's a different per. All of those people. The tickets are these art objects that you go and buy at soundscapes at the record yeah. store. The this there's a there's a handmade set that like a different artist makes every month. So like in a given year, it's like fifty more people who work on the show and they all work for free. No one gets paid. Um,
1: all credit there, but it also seems like that's a rotating cast of people and the and yeah. the, the constant fixture. Is you Absolutely. Which is something that I kind of connected to as a broadcaster. Like, in, in, in creative circles, people are always moving from project to project, and it's it's one thing to have an idea. Yeah. Um, but as a broadcaster, I've always felt like, and this is sort of a lesson that some people who mentored me taught, is like, you do this every week. You, you know, it's not some special object to art. You turn on the tap, and cold water comes out. Yeah. On Monday morning, there should be a Canada Land. Are you the water? What are you... <laughs>
0: <laughs> analogy.
1: Oh, I say just be reliable.
0: CBC is the thing in the world that most feels like a tap that you just turn on. Like Absolutely. CBC which I, th- CBC I think radio. FM radio itself it, comes out of that tap. It's, it's, it's longevity and why yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's been resilient uh, through yeah, so many challengers it is it's got the best user interface. In the, you yeah, know. It's
0: actually literally like a tap, isn't it? It's like the same mechanism. You turn a knob. Yeah. And like if you turn the knob more, then more comes out. <laughs> and if you turn the knob less, then less comes out. You know? So, it,
1: I mean, it seems like your commitment to it is... is uh, yeah,
0: I love doing it. And, and then part of it for me, too, is like... So for me, why I've kept doing it is... Primarily, because it's really fun for me. And um, like and I think I'm good at it too. like it's fun it's a fun thing that I'm good at. I enjoy doing it. I take great pleasure in doing it. And there is no similar thing. Like one of the things I thought earlier on was I was like, oh, like there was a point early on when Sheila was like, you know, maybe I'll you know, quit Sheila quit and, mm-hmm. at you know, or a, a, you know a few years in and there was a time earlier when she thought she'd shut it down. And the thing I kind of thought, I thought like more about like musicians and be like, oh, if you know, your band breaks up, you go join you know you go play bass with another band. But for me, I'd be like, well, if Trampoline Hall breaks up, well, I'm going to find like another bar where I can stand up and host a and a for like it's like that's not there's not a lot of opportunities to do that. I, I feel a lot of sympathy for people who are like um, talk show hosts. Yeah, like, it's like there really only are. I mean, maybe now a little bit more than there used to be, but there are not that many jobs in the world for talk show hosts. So like if you have one of those jobs and you like it. You're going to hold on to
1: it really, really, really fucking tight. Sure. And the interesting thing about those jobs is that these people are spoken of in the same circles as like these A-list celebrities. Yeah. yeah. But they're chained to... Yeah. They have to do that every day. Yeah. Like, again, it's like a public utility. Right. So
0: that's the other thing. So with Trampoline Hall, the thing for me was like, I really like doing this. I like doing it for this audience in this way, in this context, too. Like, I, like, part of the thing for me with Trampoline Hall really early on was like, oh, I'm on stage. I'm doing this thing which I'm really... Which, like, brings together a whole bunch of things that I'm really good at and that I really like, which is not just... It's not like I'm doing stand-up. I'm doing this really specific thing where other people are giving talks and I'm helping an audience make sense of it in a way where I get to sort of make jokes, but it's but my job isn't primarily to be funny. And I'm working for an audience who's on the whole pretty smart. Like, they're you know, it's a bookish kind mm-hmm. of thing. I guess one of the things that I like about it too, I have to say, and this is an odd thing, is like, I, I kind of like doing it once a month. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to a friend of mine who was a stand-up. He was describing why he did stand up, and he was like, you know, he was like to me, it is an addiction. Like, I do a show and I love it, and it is the most fun thing in the world to me. And I get off stage, and what I think is like, I want to be on stage again, like now. And he's like, so I do like, you know, as many shows a month as I can possibly do, and I get up on stage as much as I want, as I can, and like, because there's nothing I would rather do than be on stage. And for me, it's like, <laughs> I do Trampoline Hall, and I'm like, it's super fun. And then about three weeks later, I start to think, like, I'd, I'd like to do that again. Right. Like like being on stage (laughs) is intense, you know? And and, and I say this. um,
1: It's a manageable habit. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. In some ways, I feel embarrassed because I feel like I should be more ambitious. But in another way, I actually kind of feel proud of that. Like, I feel like, oh, that's a healthy amount of spotlight to want. And I kind of wouldn't want my whole life to be like being on stage every single day and like interacting with the world the way you do when you're on stage and doing that all the time. It's not something I crave. And then the other thing, too, is that when, when there are when there are offers to do something like that, the offer is something that through conversation that like you realize, like, oh, it's not going to be as good. It's like, oh, we're going to do something it'll be just like Trampoline Hall. Oh, awesome. Cool. Oh, except there's not going to be a live audience. Well, now it's not just like yeah. Trampoline Hall. Or, oh, but here's the thing, you know, it's going to be um, you have to only talk about things happening like in the news in Canadian culture and be like, well, I don't give a shit about talking <laughs> things in the news in Canadian culture. That sounds really depressing and boring to me. So <laughs> the idea that like there would be this thing that actually would be that. Satisfying. Right, and then I guess for me there's lots of other stuff I like to do so I think that's part of it for me too like I, there's actually a lot of things I like to do more and so I wouldn't want it to be my whole life to be doing that so I turn it into a show now there's a bunch of reasons to turn it into a podcast. So one is, doing a podcast doesn't change any of those variables for me. It's not like now that it's a trampoline hall podcast, I have to come and sit in a studio. Like people can listen to it every week, but I don't have to go into a studio every week to make that happen for them. We're just we've just we've been recording the shows for like ten years. Mm-hmm. So we have this archive of shows, and what we'll do is we will take those shows and we will release them one at a time as podcasts. So the idea is that for me, it doesn't really create a lot of new work it's just a way to take the work that we've already done and reach a broader audience with it i guess one thing that's changed is it feels to me like we're now at the point in internet history where like keeping something offline feels like you're doing an active thing like like in, in 2003 people would be like well why don't you put your show online and they'd be like what do you mean it's a show like it would be a lot of work to put it online and yeah there's lots of stuff in the world that isn't online and we're part of that thing but now it almost feels like if the thing isn't online it's like you're being precious and actively keeping it from being online, which isn't how I want to feel. I'm like, you know, like, you know. So it's a passive gesture. Yeah, well, it's more like, it's more just like, okay, everything's online. I mean, I like the fact that everything's online. You uh-huh. know? The last time we thought about this seriously, we were thinking about it for radio. And I think it's before like podcasts really like blew up as a medium. And I think Trampoline Hall makes more sense as a podcast sure. than it does as radio. So I think like as radio, when people be like, oh, we're going to make it radio. So here's an example of the change. He, like, I talked to folks at the CBC on a couple of occasions about doing Trampoline Hall as a podcast. And they're like, that's a great idea, but we'll do different lecturers. We'll get people who are like guaranteed to be really good speakers. And I was like, yeah, that's interesting, but that's absolutely not what Trampling Hall yeah. is. Um, but you can also understand why you wouldn't want to like, you know, use the public airwaves and, and the taxpayers' money to, you know, ha- to broadcast to like, you know, the millions of people who listen to the CBC. Like- someone who just bumbled in off stage and didn't want to
1: you know. yeah but what you're doing now could just as easily be on the radio you're going Maybe through the archives and using the ones that you like an
0: editorial decision we made pretty early on was that the podcast is meant to be in some ways characteristic of what trampoline hall is like so there will be train wrecks and there will be ones where like oh that didn't quite hit but then it gets fixed in the q a or it doesn't get fixed in the q a but we're not it's not like we're just choosing the you know the top 10 percent or something like that
1: you know and this is a commercial project you're doing this with a, with a media company
0: we're doing it with a media company. I don't think anyone thinks they're going to get rich off it. Uh, yeah. Now the question is, you know, well, so we'll see. I mean, I think it's a... We'll, we'll see if it turns out to be a
1: sustainable project in that way. You're working with who? Sumo Media. Is that Cindy Sumo. Witten's thing? That is indeed, yes. Okay. Former CBC executive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. absolutely. All right.
0: So we're trying to figure out, you know, and Cindy's been, like, very supportive of it in terms of, like... I think, like, in terms of the financial question, I think we're all kind of, like, this is a bit of an experiment to yeah. see whether this can make money.
1: If we can kind of conceive of... uh the suggested trajectory of a very successful lecture series yeah. and the resistance to taking that that route, I almost kind of see a trend where reading this thing you wrote for the Paris Review about going to Harvard. Right. And what you wrote about is how you felt like you went there, went, did whatever you had to do to get in there, yeah, yeah. graduated, yeah. got into the Lampoon, which is competitive to go right for the Lampoon. Yeah, sure. Did not pursue a job in comedy, no. did not pursue a career in law or in the American elite. No.
0: It is really easy to think that because some like prize in life is like is enviable, um, that it's desirable for you. And like I mean literally like enviable, like the kind of thing that people compete for or envy or whatever. So like a good example of that is like being a talk show host. Like there are many, many, many more people who would like to be talk show hosts than there are jobs for talk show hosts. Being mm-hmm. a talk show if you if you want to be a talk show host and you get to be a talk show host. Then you've won, like say, you know, being like the host of a show on a network, like you have won the fucking prize. That is it. That is an enviable thing. When you asked me, like, didn't people come to you with these jobs as radio? And I was like, oh, like how flattering, like that someone comes to you and says like, hey, you should have your own show on the C. Let's think about you having your own show on the CBC. And you think, well, that seems very flattering and that seems very enviable. But then I started to think about it and like thought about how it would change my life and be like, well, you know, would mean, I couldn't do all these other things that I do now that I really like. I also thought about like people I knew who had Jobs hosting radio shows. They didn't, you know, some of them seemed happy. A lot of them didn't. Like, if I talk, like, I knew enough people with those jobs that when I talk to them about it, a lot of them didn't seem like they liked their jobs as much as, I don't know, just a lot of other people I know, you know, <laughs> who have jobs. Yeah. You know, they might feel like scared to lose their jobs because their jobs are so enviable and scarce and hard to have or whatever, but they didn't seem particularly happier in their work than other people. I'm kind of proud to have come to the conclusion that, like, oh, right, I really like doing a show in a bar once a month i like exactly that much attention and prestige yeah. and applause and like if someone comes to me and says misha we can give you 50 times as much attention and applause i'm like i i actually think 50 times more attention and applause is not something that's <laughs> going to make my life better
1: Sure. I mean, that sounds like a very rational and like mature decision. Yeah. And just to be clear, it wasn't made
0: as rationally and maturely as, as that.
1: But, no, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, you're talking about calculations that I'm very familiar with, though I've made very different decisions. And, yeah. and I mean, part of it is you got you got to do something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Know? And just the need to pay your rent. Yeah. Um, but if you had other things that were taking care of that.
0: Yeah. And I had other things to do. So there was always that balance between like, would I rather be doing this or would I rather be doing the other things that I do? And there were always. <laughs> yeah. You can talk yourself out of anything, though. Sure, but a lot of the time you're right. right. Uh, maybe I was wrong. You know, I mean, maybe. I mean, the other explanation is that you know this stuff was too scary, and I didn't want to do it, and it was you know the stakes were too high, and I was too loss averse for whatever other kinds of things and stuff like that. But I don't think so. Yeah. The other thing too with the, the a difference between the work you do and the work that I do is that. Um, Canada needs someone to be like a an independent media critic and and to do the work to sure. do. It's like it's like work that's necessary. Like if you weren't doing it, you might think like oh man, it's a shame someone else should do that because that really needs to happen. With Trampoline Hall, I mean, I think it's a good show, but I don't. When I do Trampoline Hall, I don't have a sense that like oh, I have like put some good into the world in quite the same way. I mean, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's important. But like in other work that I do, again, like not to you know when I when people come to my class and I teach them how to like get better at. Like coming to agreements with their coworkers or loved ones or whatever, I feel like oh I've I've like made the world a better place in a way that feels more palpable to me, and that's important for me too. So that's one of the reasons why that kind of full time job, doing something like trampoline hall, didn't seem super fun to me it was that it doesn't. Not to say that that work isn't important, but it doesn't in my gut feel important in the same way. Yeah. It's stuff that has more direct application.
1: You don't feel like driven by a sense of purpose. To, yeah. To-
0: yeah. I don't feel driven by a sense of purpose to create art or entertainment in the way that maybe some people who do that work do you know i guess what i think is there are things that we want and then we get tricked a lot of the time by proxies for those things Mm -hmm. you know so that so you think like oh i want to feel good about myself so what i'll do is i'll i want to feel good about myself i know that i feel shitty about myself when i see other people who are more conventionally successful than me so what i'll try to do is i'll try to get a job like those people have but if you think it through you're like oh right but that actually doesn't work like you know, so you just you fixate on pursuing that job like those people have. Then you get that job like those people have, but you still feel shitty about yourself. It doesn't actually fix the underlying problem, but you, yeah, if you that's... pursue the proxy goal of prestige, as an example, you know, yeah,
1: um, money's like that too. Well, I think that, you know, there's something kind of privileged about even being able to have these kinds of. Um... To, to have the space to say, well, what is yeah. what, what is the perfect?
0: What I disagree. Is... I think everyone should feel weird about their Harvard experience. You know, no matter what social <laughs> class they come from.
1: I don't see how it has any of privilege. You, you know, I, I have this deep ambivalence. About... Or about their or about their radio show. Sure. or About their podcast. Yeah. Or
0: about the the bar, the show that they host in a bar. I mean, when you're talking about questions like, you know, why do you turn down a job at, you know, why 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 did you think about why did you not pursue a career in media? That's a question. That's a question between two people who have, in the grand sense of things, quite a lot of privilege. I mean, it'd be very different if I was, you know, cleaning rooms in a hotel. And that seemed to me like the outcome I was looking at in my life and someone said, hey, do you want to host a show on the CBC? I would say, yes, I would rather host a show on the CBC than clean rooms in a hotel.
1: Yeah. But I'm not. On one hand, I feel like what a wonderful creative act to be able to... Pursue your interests and build a life for yourself that is outside of these established like grooves of how you're supposed to work your way up these various hierarchies, and you're supposed to buy into the idea that the payoff will be satisfying. Yeah. You can achieve a life where you are both sustaining yourself financially, and you've know you have, you've got a family, you got a kid now. You can be praised for this book you did with Sheila in The New Yorker. Mm-hmm. You could write a thing for The Paris Review. You can even get those... Uh, for as much as it's a critique yeah. of prestige, you've got a lot of the kind of trophies of oh, yeah, prestige, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yet be bound by none... Of the entrapments. I mean, it's a very modern thing too yeah. to, to be able to kind of design your your yeah, life portfolio and career. careers. I think they call it. Yeah.
0: That's the... One reason I keep doing the show is because people keep coming. Yeah. Like that's an engagement with the world. Like I've done lots of other things where people don't keep coming. I don't do them. I have had a, an unhealthy, I think, lifelong resistance to like, being at the bottom and start, and working my way up in anything. And so one thing that I've often done is I found things to do where I can kind of come in through the side door. Mm-hmm. So, like, so like with Trampoline Hall, the first day I walked on stage and hosted Trampoline Hall, I was the best Trampoline Hall host in the world. I think in some ways it probably does actually come out of like a kind of cowardice or whatever. Like we're just like, I don't want to suffer that indignity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, that the desire to not suffer that indignity leads to um, interesting things because it forces you to come up with new solutions. Like if there's a thing that, you know, a thousand people are trying to be good at, why would I want to go and do that? Just even in terms of what the world needs. Like the world, does the world really need one more person trying to be good at that thing that a thousand people are already
1: trying to do? That's a really interesting Or does point. the world
0: need people to go and try something really new? There's clearly no shortage of opportunity to do new stuff.
1: All right, so everybody listen to Misha's podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me anytime. I'll read what you send me. I'll respond when I can. I am at jesse at Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. New episode of The Imposter going up on Wednesday. Next episode of Shortcuts on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. Russell Gregg handles syndication to radio stations across this country. If you like what we do, please support us.
2: Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.